everyone. I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and a psychotherapist. And I'm Rue Powell, an admitted workaholic and self-care Luddite. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast about women learning to take better care of themselves. We think self-care is important, but it can simultaneously be elusive. We don't lack information about it, but we don't always quite get there. So this podcast is dedicated to exploring different aspects of self-care, from the silly to the serious. We're looking at health, relationships, beauty, periods, and maybe a touch of the random. We also want to look at the hurdles we face that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. To submit questions to me or Rue, or to Claire, our beauty expert, or BJ, our resident therapist, join us in our private forum by searching Selfie Podcast Community on Facebook. Hey guys, well, today we are going to be chatting with Jamie Wright. She is the author of The Very Worst Missionary. Um, but first, I am going to do my weekly self-care check-in with Rue. Rue, how Hello. is your self-care going this week? It's going pretty well. Um, I got, so a week ago, I got a very big fern for Mother's Day. Um, and I was thinking about what to name it. It's this huge Boston fern, and so... First, I was thinking I was going to name it Fernie Sanders, Aww. but you know I'm an Elizabeth gal in spite of, you know, what's happening with uh, politics right now. So no. anyway, I decided I needed some female energy in my office, so I named her Fernadette. <laughs> so so funny. I love and that. I actually – I love having plants around me. Uh, so anyway, I have been hanging out with Fernadette in my office, and I have to tell you the presence of a huge plant um, has been really nice. But another thing that I was doing – I was talking to a friend of mine whose dad just passed, and uh, I told her about this activity that I, I do. And I know when my dad passed, I felt – I guess the only way I could describe it, and maybe you understand from your um, therapist days, Kristen, but it's like I felt untethered. I really yeah. felt like I was floating a little bit. Yes. And so um, one thing a therapist told me is to – I guess they do this perhaps in AA. I might be getting that wrong – is to ask yourself where your feet are. Like, where are my feet? Mm. To help you feel a little bit grounded. Yeah. Um, and I think right now, lately, there are times where I just feel a little bit untethered, mainly because, you know, there's no, like, we're not making future plans, right? Yes. Like, you're not planning your summer vacation. And I know this sounds silly, but I've been doing this activity lately when things are feeling a little strange and I'm feeling disconnected. Is I've been making, um, I grab a notebook and I grab a piece of paper and I either, like, write my name or, you know, write the word me in the middle. And I start drawing circles around it. Hmm. And in each circle, I write names of people that I feel like I can really count on, you know, oh like gosh. people that people that I really love, like, not necessarily people that would do a murder for me. But, you know, like, in my inner circle, it's, you know, for, so, for example, for you, it might be, like, a spouse or a best friend. And I have my brother in that circle. And then... In that circle around it, I have friends that um, I can call on in the middle of the night if, you know, there's an emergency or – and then you kind of keep going out and then it's like, oh, I've got um, a text thread with local moms and I've got even like the selfie podcast community. If I need support in a moment, I can just hop on and say, hey, I could use advice around something like this. And when you look at it, when I look at like this kind of like these rings in a tree – it feels really good to know that you've got connections and you've got support, even if things are a little bit furry right now. Totally. Um, so I actually really That's love that exercise practice. for me. I yeah, love and that. I. It's just, 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 it's just super simple. Just grab a notebook yeah. and start drawing circles. But that's. I've, I've been feeling pretty good about my self-care uh, this week, thanks to, um, you know, drawing in my notebook in Fernadette. In <laughs> Fernadette. Okay, yes. can I tell you something sad? I don't have a single plant in my house. You have to. I know. You have to. Well, especially now that I'm in the house all the time. Where did you get Fernadette? <laughs> I think Fernadette was just bought at, like, a local, like, farm. Yeah. Um, but there are also, like, you can buy plants off Amazon. I know. You can. You're so right. And Home Depot is open too. I need yeah. to get some plants. Some or even plants. if you want to just honestly like get a clipping from outside and stick it in water. That's, I just love having Rue, that's greenery too far. around me. That's just too far. Uh, that's, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a gardener. <laughs> it's You know, <laughs> let me just tell you how like 
so people know that you are very, uh, you know, West Coast. And I live out in the woods. And this is how out in the woods I live. So we've got baby foxes in the backyard. Like a mama fox had a bunch of little baby foxes. And my kids named all of them. Like one is like Everest and another is like Clover. Anyway, the baby foxes have been murdering squirrels. And now we just have disembodied squirrel heads like in our backyard. And that has been my kid's science class. So... I understand, like, I'm just asking you to get, like, a little, like, get one leaf off of a tree, Kristen. Like, one. A tree? A tree? A a shrub? I don't know what you're speaking of. (laughs) So do I need to drive to the woods? (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to mail you um, a fern leaf. You can have a little piece of fernadette and it'll be dead by the time it gets to you, but it's the thought that counts. Okay, you do that. (sighs) Okay, what was your non-nature uh, self-care? How's, how's your how's your self-care doing? Well, you know what? It's interesting. My self-care um, is, is going okay. But I wanted to talk in, about an aspect of my own self-care that someone asked about in the selfie group, which is how much do you enforce your children cleaning their rooms slash the house? And Ooh. I think this is one of those things that it's a total, your mileage may vary. Like, not everyone cares about having a clean house. This is not important to many people. And if it's not important to you, then you shouldn't spend your time on it. But I am one of those people that I feel zen when my whole house is clean. Um, And that does include my children's rooms. Like I just I feel very uneasy when things are messy. And I feel very calm when they are clean. And but e- but even your kids' rooms? Yes, I do. I don't like when. I, yes, all of it, very much so. I know it's weird, but yeah, I just don't like my house being in disarray. It just makes me feel chaotic. Mm. Um, and so I am a mother who absolutely enforces clean rooms at all times. And for those of you for whom that feels good, I'll share how I do it. But again. I don't want this to sound like anyone should make their kids clean their rooms if that sounds stressful. For me, it's stressful for them not to. Um, And I have been, you know, with all the kids home, they're home all the time. So it's like it used to be, you know, they would be at school all day. And so their rooms would be clean while they were gone. And then they would be at practices and rehearsals and, um, you know, but we're just here all the time. And I don't know about your house, but the attrition is high. It's like (laughs) – yeah, so when the, the the girls went off to school, the house was clean the whole day, right. and I was just had this very zen, you know, the house is clean, and I could you know do meetings or or whatever. Um, so I totally get that feeling. And now I clean something, and I turn around yeah. and I go, what 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 just happened? And it's just they're just living, but they're bringing in you know nature from outdoors, or they're just like dropping t shirts wherever. And so yes, I definitely understand, although. I think that there are some of us that would just, you know, close their kids' doors. Yes. (laughs) Well, and I'm going to share how I'm getting my kids to to clean in the whole house, too. Yes, please do. Okay. So the number one thing, and I've I've shared this one before, but our number one rule that helps with this is clean before screen, which is basically you cannot sit down and watch a show or get on, you know, a gaming device or sit and scroll your phone if your room is not clean. Like that is just a hard and fast rule. And I mean, even yesterday, I walked by, Karis is sitting on her phone. I walk to her room and I'm like, um, your room's not clean. And they they know, like she gets up, goes and cleans her room. So I enforce like cleaning all the time because I just, here's the thing. If you don't stay totally on top of it, and this is true for my own room, you know, if you don't stay totally on top of it, it, it will just get so bad. Right. So clean before screen is a big one for us. And it's just kind of a reset button. Or like if we're going to watch a movie in the evening, I will just be like, okay, yeah, we can watch it once all of your rooms are clean. Right. Well, does that include – and maybe you're going to get to this, so I apologize if, if I'm interrupting. But what about like common areas? Yes, it does include common areas. Absolutely. And so um, I also – I mean, this sounds a little bit juvenile because I have teenagers – but I have these um, popsicle sticks and they have chores written on them. And so after every meal, 
somebody they have to take a popsicle stick and it will say like wipe the table down or wipe the kitchen counters down or sweep or load the dishwasher or unload the dishwasher. I and feel s- like I read this on your blog like circa 2012. You did. I've been doing this <laughs> since they were small children. Yes. Um, and so I am assigning those, you know, after every single meal. Um, so yes, the clean before screen, they have to clean up the living room too. Um, and then a new thing that I have instituted since you know, we've been at home more, is that every Saturday we're doing kind of like purging type stuff. And so I give them a list of a ch- of chore to do on Saturday. And so that might look like organizing every drawer in the pantry, or it might look like cleaning the grill, or it might look like, like it's like those deeper tasks, right. um, cleaning out the refrigerator. And so we're getting those things done once a week because I'm making them do it on the weekend. Because, you know, the more I thought about it, it's like with all of these people home, if I don't kind of delegate to them, then I'm just cleaning. I'm either cleaning all the time or everything's gross. And it was. Things were just gross. Like the Tupperware, you know, the Tupperware drawer is exploding when you open it. Or the fridge has like dead baby carrots all over. Yes. Well, I think that's the case with my family, too, is that my tolerance level is just much different. Yes. Um, which, which is, is why. <laughs> no, no. My tolerance level for the compared to them, I mean. Oh, for so sure. So where I'm like, oh, I'm going to be the only one that scrubs the toilets because I'm yes. the only one that really that loves cares. a clean toilet. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, no, I like that. I think cleaning from b- clean before a screen is, is really, really smart. The... My rule is that the common areas have to be clean. So, you know, living room, kitchen, dining area, like just basically the entire downstairs. And then as far as their bedroom goes, I will I I will just close the door. And then at some point, which is probably I probably shouldn't even be admitting this in front of humans, but I'll just kind of usher them into their room and I'll say, I'm going to lock you guys in here and just come out when it's clean and it's yeah the, the, the three of them share a room it's like uh it's a, my friend describes it a little bit like an english nursery and it's also a little bit like i don't know uh boot camp where like the beds are all just kind of lined up so i um <laughs> yeah yeah the, i i'm not i don't know it's hard to because like the weather changes so much so if it's a really really nice day i say take advantage of it and i kick them outside and so the rainy days is when i'm like all right we're deep we're deep cleaning now you know yes. everyone get get a little scrubby thing and uh and and you know organize your closet totally well, and I have found, you know, another thing that really helps me in terms of keeping like the kids on top of their room and and even in the main house is I label everything so that everyone knows where everything goes. And so because my kids are not really able to like build the structure to keep a clean room. And so like I will just, you know, maybe every other month go through their room with them and just be like, okay. You, you know, you got a new camera this week. Where does the camera live? And then we'll label where the camera lives. Or, you know, okay, your soccer cleats have been on the floor for like three weeks. Where do the soccer cleats live? And then I'll label. So oh my gosh. I'm I need someone to do that. explaining where things go. And then there's no question. So they can't be like, well, I don't know where it goes, you know. Do you have a junk drawer? Or like a drunk a junk closet or a junk anything? Um, yeah, I mean I have a junk drawer, but it's all labeled. <laughs> it's all labeled. Okay, no, that doesn't count. The, the, the phrase is junk drawer. If you, there's labeling involved, it's no longer a junk drawer. No, where I do you don't. Keep, I don't. Have where a do junk you keep drawer. your soy sauce packets after you get takeout? They are labeled in a <laughs> basket that says sauces. <laughs> I have a, I have a, a basket for that. <laughs> Okay. All right. I I have to I have to remove myself from this part of the conversation before I feel just completely inept. I can't you have a sauces a sauces basket. Okay. Well, first no, of all, that's... let me say this of my pantry. I did have a professional organization called Hoarderly come in and organize my pantry. How organized is your underwear drawer? Very. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. It's not folded, but it is th- – there's cubes, you know. Okay, there's so like, you've got like period underwear in one spot and like your – I don't know. Your, yes. 
Okay. Yes. Okay. I have like the suck it in underwear and I have the sexy underwear that is never worn. I don't know. Is that like a gold drawer? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the underwear that you're like, uh, maybe, maybe someday. Yeah, know. sure. Sure. That doesn't look like it hurts at all. Right. It's just going to, it's just going to completely bisect my labia. <laughs> totally. Um, can I say that? I can say labia here, right? You can say labia. You can, yeah. we can, it, it's weird. We can say all of the sexual terms we want as long as it's not a cuss word. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So what about, what about two thumbs up for the week? What do you have? Okay. Well, one of my two thumbs up is a little bit related to the whole clean before screen, which is, and I've talked about this before, but it is saving my life right now is the circle, which is an internet filter um, that allows you, you can install every single device in the house on it right. and you can make profiles. And so each of my kids has a profile and each of my kids um, have their iPhone, their iPad, and their Chromebook on their own profile. And then what it does is it um, you can add limits to certain things. And so for my kids, the limits that I have to enforce are TikTok because they could spend all day on TikTok. Same. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I probably need that. Um, what's the other ones? Um, I have the television, the Roku stick on a timer. Um, so that they only have a certain amount of time that they can watch television in a given day. Um, and then I have the Xbox on a timer. Um, but so for me, it, because I'm working a lot and I can't, I really don't have the time to be like, I'm in my office. I don't have the time to be out in the living monitoring everyone's screen time. And so for me, it just kind of outsources and makes sure that you know, everything's kind of monitored without me having to do it. And so it really helps in reducing, you know, my kids' ability to just crack out on a screen for five hours at a time. Right. That's really smart. Yeah. And then you can pause the whole thing. So like, I could just be like, oh, I'm sorry. I just noticed that your room was a mess. And so I'll pause your internet until it's clean. And, and you can do that individually. Individually. You can, oh, cool. you can pause each person. It's great. Or if they get in trouble, like if they get in trouble, I'll just pause, you know, like nice. I had a kid last week do something stupid, stupid, and he was on pause for three days. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I guess it's effective then too, though. It's effective and it's just easy. It just really, right. I mean, especially with your kids home all the time. So there's not that natural, like, go out of the house time. Um, because if I, I mean, I'm just saying if I wasn't on top of this, my kids would just be, you know, they would be on screens all day, every day. Well, we know how addictive it is, too. It is. Like, I'll, I'll get lost in a Twitter thread or like a oh, Wikipedia sure. black hole. For yeah. Sure. Well, um, what's and then your other? Sorry. My other two thumbs up is we watched the cutest movie on Netflix called The Half of It. I just watched that last week. Wasn't it cute? It was so cute. It was so sweet. It was like this lovely kind of like coming of age yeah. film. It I was. don't want to steal your thunder. Did your kids like it? They really did. And I thought it was just – I think it's hard to find a movie that appeals to a tween and to teenagers and to me as well because I'm sitting and watching movies with them. And I enjoyed it. I mean, there were – don't get me wrong. There were some cheesy moments. Mm -hmm. But I thought the writing was really clever. I thought it was sweet. I don't want to give too much away, but there's like some – you know, like an affirmation of an LGBT character, which I liked. Um, My it, it was diverse it, cast. It was a little slow moving. It was. It was. But actually, let me piggyback off that for a second. So another coming of age movie that I I missed out on, but apparently was really good and people are kind of compare the two is like the new coming of age movies. Did you watch Booksmart? I did. How and I loved Booksmart. However, Booksmart is super inappropriate for kids. Like there's some aspects of that movie that made me go like, oh, I can't watch this with my kids. Oh, right. I mean, I I guess I didn't. No, I mean, I, I certainly didn't watch either with my kids. But I guess Booksmart to me, if you went to high school, like the same time I went to high school. Yes. I think Books Booksmart to kids now is what like 10 Things I Hate About You was yes. to me. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like this totally. new – And I thought it was really clever and definitely 
raunchy and uh, for sure in some areas, but it's not like it. It wasn't like American Pie. No, no, not at all. I don't. I can, actually can't remember what made me go like, "Oh, I can't watch this with my kids." I think that they did drugs. I think that might have been it. Right, right, and you know, there's there's talk of um, self, uh, oh, masturbation. Right. Yes. I was trying to think of a, a word that we wouldn't get pinged for. We can say masturbation again. We just can't say the F word. H e l l. I got it. Yes. <laughs> yes. We can talk about masturbation all day long, which apparently people want us to. That was one of the topics that people wanted us to talk about on Selfie. Oh, good. I'm really glad my mom listens to this. Me too. This is, yeah, it'll be wait. super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I'd love to know if any what, else, what other people thought of the half of it as well. I thought it was very sweet. Yeah, and I would say it, it's appropriate for ages. I mean, there was really nothing. There was nothing inappropriate in it at all. Really? No. It was really cute. Yeah. What about you? Oh, um, well, so I know that right now, and I, I, mentioned, I mentioned this in the podcast group, the Selfie Podcast Community Group, and I was a little bit worried because I know that right now there are business owners that need us to spend money. And at the same time, there are many of us that are dealing with financial difficulties just because yes. the state of everything. So I mentioned how I cut my hair and all my girls hair and yeah. i probably saved us like you know two hundred dollars where we live you know even because my girls have long hair even though they're kids and that said i totally feel for hairstylists and salon owners and you know i don't imagine that i will only cut my hair forever for as long as i live but it made me think about um just other ways we're kind of helping as a community or diying as well Point is, have you heard of the Buy Nothing group? Do you have like a local Buy Nothing group? I do, in fact, and I just joined it. I just joined our Buy Nothing group. And so the idea is it's not bartering. It's not selling. It's giving out of abundance and asking for what you need. And that's it. And it's super simple. So there was this like dress that I haven't worn at all. And I was like, hey, could anyone use this dress? And someone said, yes. I love that dress. And so I stuck it in a bag and put it on my front porch. And like, I didn't even see her. She came and picked it yeah, up. Yeah. And then um, same for like, I was, you know, would anyone like to borrow a book? Or um, I asked if anyone had any dying plants that I could try to rescue uh-huh. or propagate. So now I have, now Fernadette has a couple of friends. And um, and it's especially great because a lot of us have kids of different ages and it's like, oh, my kid's outgrown this bike. And I, it's just such a great feeling of community in a time where you don't get to see people. Totally. So if you go to, I think it's like buynothing.org or you can just check your local area. And I love that it's very much give where you live. So you can yes. only belong to one buy nothing group. So yes. I belong to the one in my town and I live in a small town. So it's, you know, it's all very like, it just feels so hyper local and it's not a big deal. You don't have to drive 30 miles in order mm-hmm. to pick something up or drop something off. Mm-hmm. And it's just this feeling of like, generosity and community and like that village feeling that we've kind of all missed out on that really means a lot to me so i recommend it if you have a buy nothing group in your area you should join it if you don't have one you can start one but it's like a national thing so you have to go through you have to take like an go through like modules so you know the rules i don't entirely i'm not entirely sure of what that entails but um i really recommend it and we all like even in the group it just feels good it feels like we're all helping each other in some way well and i'll say this too i mean my our local goodwills are still closed and so the reason that pushed me to join is i had all this stuff and i'm like i don't want to throw this away like you know we purged closets but it's like stuff that doesn't fit anymore but that's nice clothing that someone could use and so that's you know that's where i joined is like oh this is a nice rug that doesn't fit anymore but i don't want to throw it away like it's good it's good for the environment you know because you're giving stuff away instead of throwing it away right and our like libraries are closed yes so um and i you know like collecting books so i have a bunch and so i said hey and i just did a, a quick video of all of my bookshelves 
And I said, if you'd like to loan, if you'd like to borrow a book, you know, please feel free. And it's just nice because, you know, and we're, I'm careful, like I'll wipe down the books and all of this is, is conscious. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, it just feels really nice. So that's my, that's my uh, very thrifty and community minded thumbs up. And then I have an expensive thumbs up. Okay. Which is um, uh, someone in the Facebook group asked me about my hair because I had mentioned, and you had mentioned too, just kind of air drying it and not really doing yes. the whole shebang that we're used to. And so I went through all the products that I use and I use super cheap shampoo, mm-hmm. super cheap conditioner. I'm talking like I'm talking like $2 shampoo and conditioner or whatever is in the tub at a hotel. Like that's the kind of shampoo and conditioner I use because I have this theory that it really is about the product that you use after that makes or breaks your hair. So super cheap shampoo, super cheap conditioner, and then I dry it. And then what I use um, to keep my hair – my hair – like decent for the week because I don't want to shampoo more than, you know, once every five days is I use um, the R&Co Badlands dry shampoo paste, not a spray, Mm. not a powder. It's a paste and you kind of just rub it in and it's the priciest thing that I put on my hair. Um, But a little goes a long way and it makes my hair uh, feel clean and fresh and I like it very much and I justify spending the 20 something dollars on it because I've spent, you know, 10 cents on the zest soap that I use to scrub my hair in the shower. It's not actually zest soap, um, but you know what I mean. Cheap, cheap, cheap shampoo. Yeah, I love that. Next up, we're going to be chatting with Jamie Wright. Jamie is a longtime friend of mine. She's the author of the book, The Very Worst Missionary, where she details um, her account of becoming a missionary and then becoming a bit disillusioned with some of the practices of missions. Um, She and I had a long conversation about that and about both of our books. That will be a part of my author series live on Instagram, so you can check that out there. But I wanted to share a part of the conversation that she and I had around divorce, um, because I know we have listeners who have been through that or have contemplated that, and I thought it might be an interesting listen. So Jamie, you and I have a lot in common, but one thing that we have in common is that we both got a divorce after very long marriages. You bet we did. I mean, it's just, yeah. I re- I remember, yeah. I actually remember sitting with you in the Austin airport. And I think both of us were at the point where we were both ready to say like, I think, I think that the, my marriage has to end. Like we were uh-huh. both right mm-hmm. at that tipping point. Yeah. And it was so scary yeah. to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was, it, it. It was very encouraging to me that you were going through it at the same time or that similar time is very, and it gave me courage because it was just like, I don't know how to do this and I don't know what comes next. And, you know, it, and it was, we both stayed in very long, like very unhealthy, very long marriages and Mm -hmm. did everything we possibly could. And, and then some, I think. And, um, so it, it, for someone who had worked so hard for so long to stay married, it did feel like, Oh, what am I doing? Yep. Like, have I, you know, my, my, I got my divorce papers the month after my 25th wedding anniversary, 25 years. I got mine the month of my 20th. Isn't that weird? Just like the, so the weird. round number, like just the yes. full circle. It's just like, wow, a quarter of a century I spent yeah. doing this thing yeah. and that thing, it failed Yeah, ultimately. But, um, but yeah, like walking through that process and being in the kind of like, semi-public, you know, the, yeah. the blogging and having an online kind of an audience for your public dismantling of your marriage. is It's a weird thing. And so to be that in that with you at the same time was kind of like, oh my gosh, like, how do we do this? And yeah. I know. Yeah, I remember, was- um, I remember you posted publicly about your divorce before I did. And but I, I was divorced and I just mm-hmm. hadn't said it online. And I remember when you po- put your post out there, it was kind of like, she survived it. Like she did it. She survived uh-huh. it. She's getting uh-huh. mostly support, you know, mm-hmm. mostly, like, yeah. I think I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it but was- you, yeah. As you said, I mean, we were both married a very long time and we both mm-hmm. worked and neither of us wanted to be divorced. I mean, no, I'm I don't know that marriage. anybody does. Yeah. Um, 
but we both were. And at the same time, I want to say yeah. it's the best decision I've ever made. For sure. Me too. So For sure. I am super pro marriage. I'm yes, I, I am too. personally monogamous and like, yep. it's a thing that I valued very much. And, yep. um, and at this and and divorce was absolutely the the best option for me. Yeah. And I should have done it a long time ago. So, yeah, I mean, I should have, but whatever. Yeah. Like, so I, it's, it's, it is a weird thing to walk through publicly and just be like, well, here, here I'm getting divorced. And then people are like, why would you give up? And you're like, okay. Okay. Dumb, dumb. Well, I think one of the things you and I also have in common is that we were both public people who seemed very vulnerable, who were very quiet about our marriage issues. Uh-huh. You know, very. I mean, yep. both. And even, mm-hmm. you know, you were you were kind of at that precipice even in the writing of your last book. Absolutely. And you I had were to... still so very quiet, you know. Uh-huh. In fact, my publisher, there's a chapter on marriage in my book or on my, my marriage and um, I had originally written it knowing that I was eventually going to get a divorce. Like I, I'd known for a long time. It was really a matter of timing. Yeah. And um, they had me go back and kind of rewrite, like kind of soften it. Yeah. Because it was such a big question. Like I left a real big, like a real big hole. Um, yeah. To, to fill later, like to be like, well, see guys, I, I was, pre- I prepared you for this. Yeah. But um, it, it really did kind of like, it sort of messed with the, it was weird for readers. It was weird. Like yeah. it would have been weird to just be like, but what happened with our marriage? And so, and then the book ends, you know? Um, <laughs> and so it, it was the right call, like, like in a literary sense, yes. like it, was, it was the right call for the book, yes. but I have regrets. Cause I'm just like, I, I knew and it reads, it just, it's not, it's not a good look, but but it is weird because you and I talked about the whole thing with divorce and you're the one that told me like, you know, we kind of both, we lamented a lot. Like, how do we kind of share this publicly? And we both sort of started like, you know, like the d- eliminating photo evidence of our exes and kind of like totally. slowly, like just changing the narrative. And, um, and it was a weird thing because we are both authentic people. Yes. We're authentic. Value- yeah. Yeah, we value honesty and we value truth and we we challenge and we question. And that's what we are about. And um, you and I were talking about this once and you said, you know, there's a real big difference between um, secrecy and privacy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, that's, that's so true because yeah. I'm not a secretive person and my divorce was not a secret. I'm not I wasn't right. ashamed of it, but it's private. It was a private yes. matter between yeah. myself and this other person whose story yes. I don't get to tell. No. And so it was just, yeah, that was really crucial for me. And I think too, it's like, for me, it was like my close friends knew everything that was going on. You know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a secret, as you said, like my, my close friends, you know, all of the details of my divorce. I know all the dirty details of yours, but that's not for like the general audience. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like that's not for someone who has read my blog, but I've never met in person. And so finding those layers of disclosure and just making sure that, you know, I've always felt like I want to make sure that, you know, I have, I have kind of determined like who are the people that know, and then who are the people that they don't maybe need to know all of the details, you know, like, can I be authentic without, you know, as you said, I mean, there's a whole other party involved and kids who probably don't want to read the details of, of that parent online, which is not fair either. So, yep. Yeah. Right. It really is. And it was, I mean, but it was a process and, and even, even kind of getting to that place where it's like, I, I love, I love the, I loved blogging and that was a really fun, like useful, productive period in my life. It was very formative for me, but I don't owe, I don't, we don't owe readers anything, (laughs) you know, like, like it's cool and I'm happy to share the things that I do share, but there are things that happen in the course of a marriage that are, or, or an ending a marriage that are yeah. painful, traumatic, totally. that need therapy, that need, yes. a pro- like you need to process. Yes. And so to say like, I'm not going to give all that to to everybody yeah. felt really easy for me. I was just like, yeah, it's, I just, I don't, yeah. we don't owe the world 
our dirty secrets. <laughs> no. And, and I mean, I even like, you know, I, I always tried to stay authentic. So it's like, you know, when I, when my marriage was really struggling, I stopped posting photos, I, you know, but by the time I made the announcement, it was really funny because most people were like, yeah, we, we know, <laughs> obviously yeah, we haven't seen your husband on your Facebook for two years, three years, you know? Right. And I thought I'd done a good job of that, but, um, I had been separated for quite a while. Um, and people, my, my ex would not tell anyone. He would not tell anyone that so we were separated. Funny. And I mean, we were not living in the same home. Yeah. We were a hundred percent getting a divorce. We, had, I mean, it was and he, 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 nobody knew. So like in the town where he was a pastor at one point and where we lived and raised our kids and like, yeah, I was, constantly running into people. And I'll tell you this, um, I mean, this is a lot of information, but eventually, um, sadly, one of my kids passed away and at his memorial, like at his thing, a ton of people did not know that I was divorced and I, I was there with my new guy. Yeah. Yeah. Actually he, what he had his, he had a new chick and she was there too. So we are like, that's completely so uncomfortable. done. And yeah. people who'd known us for ages who are coming to comfort this couple yeah. are just like, what the hell who is going on? Who are these people? On? They had no idea. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was, I mean, I've, I've run into some people and they were like, that was awkward. I was oh, like, really? I, I'm sorry. I didn't know. And I had already announced it. Like if they, you know, I was like, well, you should read my blog because... <laughs> They it's know. so funny. But it was so awkward. There's so many awkward parts of divorce. There was a, a season where, because um, Mark and I are still very friendly. And so if we go to a school function, we'll sit together and then my boyfriend mm -hmm. will come. And so the three of us will be sitting together. And unbeknownst to me, there was a rumor going around the school that I was Polly. Oh, okay. <laughs> because they Just... thought I was still married to Mark. <laughs> and I had uh -huh. a boyfriend, which I'm like. Well, I mean, I appreciate you guys thinking I'm that edgy. I don't have the time for that, but. <laughs> well, I will say this. Divorce takes a while. There was a minute when I was not technically divorced, <laughs> but definitely moved on. Yes. <laughs> and I don't care. I mean, that's just how things work. But like, it well, is divorce so. divorce in California. California is one of the longest <sighs> states to get a divorce in. It, there's weird required waiting periods. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it drags, it drags for a very long time. It really does. It took a while. It took a couple of years actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Be. That is the case for almost everyone I know. So that's mm -hmm. fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. But, you know, we walked through it. I mean, and people always, you know, want my advice on divorce. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone cause it's pretty terrible mm -hmm. yep. unless you are living with someone that you feel like it's, more toxic to stay in which case mm -hmm. right you now and that's i just feel like there are really really good reasons for divorce yeah and especially in the church we're really good at ignoring them and yes. and like patting them on the head and saying yes. like it's not that bad and yeah um, you know and again that same it's the same stuff is like god called me you know when when you're in that kind of evangelical circle mm -hmm. and people are telling you first of all that like you like you're you're garbage because yeah. you're you were born right yes. like you're just this fallen you're a wretch yeah yes yeah and also on top of that you're a woman so you're like mm -hmm. <laughs> the you you know like you're the eve and also you don't deserve love and you're so lucky that god loves you yes like god's so great that he would love even you mm -hmm. you sack of shit all you and done. Then, right so you're like this message that like i'm so lucky to be loved by anyone by anything because yeah. i don't deserve love because i'm totally. just this fallen creature and then on top of that like we get the the how many times does Jesus say to forgive? Mm -hmm. Seven times 70? Oh, but it's not an actual number. It just means like infinity. Like you yeah. just keep forgiving. And it doesn't matter what it costs you because like we're supposed to be like Jesus and Jesus dies for what we do to him. Yeah. So it's, it, it, it's just such a mess. It is. For people who are like really suffering. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I'll just say this. If you are watching this <laughs> and you are like red flags everywhere. And you mm -hmm. really think you should have left already. Get out. Well, this is what I would say. If your marriage is so bad that you can't talk to your close friends about how bad it is without feeling oh my gosh. like you'll hate your husband. Yeah. That I think that you and I were both in that. In, yep. 
in we were and we were very good friends even with each other and we were hiding reality of our marriages just because i didn't want my closest friends to hate my husband yeah. and i knew they would if i told them mm -hmm. the truth and mm -hmm. did <laughs> uh-huh but you know if if you are living yeah. in that that's that would be my biggest piece of advice is be real with your inner circle about your whole marriage all of that it. is super super good advice yeah i mean that's absolutely the truth is I, the the things that we both protected like the the secrets that we kept and mm -hmm. the the ways that we protected the, our the reputation yeah. of our yeah. ex-spouse and our and our marriage over our own health and well-being yes. i mean that is so smart like yeah. that, i that was a crucial turning point for me was like i'm going to tell you guys some things mm -hmm. and you're not going to like it <laughs> And you guys, and my girlfriends were just like, oh my gosh. But don't you feel like when you said those things out loud and you heard, mm -hmm. you heard them say things you knew, but you heard it from the perspective of what this must sound like to your friends who love you. Don't you mm -hmm. feel like that was a critical moment of, oh, this is so bad. Like yeah. when I hear myself speak this out loud, this is so bad. It's no longer just me rattling around in my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it's we're so good at kind of like creating these fake puzzles and fitting little pieces in in our own lives. And when you try and show that to someone else, when you're like, "Look what yeah. I've made! Look how look at this pretty picture!" and and you show them the whole thing, and they're like, "This doesn't work. This yeah. isn't working." Right? Your your friends can say that to yes. you, and you're just like, and then you see it, and you're like, yeah. "Oh gosh, yeah, I'm really." I'm really working hard to hold this thing together that doesn't belong. Totally. And yeah, so yeah, that's it was huge was saying it out loud. So yeah. I think that's that's a really good parameter, honestly. You should write a book about <sighs> All right, let's hear from BJ, our resident therapist. She is going to be talking to us about ongoing anxiety in the midst of this pandemic. I don't know about you guys, but this is getting harder the more time that passes. I actually had a lot of really wonderful things happen in the past week, and yet I've had a tougher time emotionally for some reason. And I'm realizing I'm waking up with a little bit more of a Groundhog Day feeling. I'm exhausted without reason. I am in physical pain that I think is connected to emotional pain. And my inbox is filled with questions from you about your own anxiety and frustration that you don't seem to be getting it together all these weeks in. And I think there is probably some new anxiety coming as a result of our cities getting ready to open back up on different levels. So I want to talk a little bit about what to do about that. One of the questions that was in my inbox literally said, so much anxiety, when is it going to end? I hear you, man, I feel it. I'm so with you in it. I don't have a ton of anxiety that's overt, but I think I have some covert anxiety that's coming up in other ways. It happened like that for me at the beginning, and then things were good. And like I said, this past week, it feels a little bit like an undercurrent of anxiety and depression that's not really attached to anything logical or rational or that I could put words to. It's just in my body. I know from your letters that many of you are still having constant ruminating thoughts, inability to sleep. You frequently are convinced that you have COVID and are struggling with all of that. You know, I have a member of my family who struggles with anxiety outside of a pandemic. Um, so this has just been brutal. And at one point, realizing that his fears were impossible to manifest, the things that he laid awake at night and worried about couldn't possibly happen. Have you ever had that kind of anxiety? I mean, it's one thing to lay awake and think, did I spend too much time in the grocery store today? Could I possibly have COVID? Is that why my chest feels heavy? Or is that just anxiety? I think many of you are having that experience or what happens if my business fails and we lose our home. Those are very real possibilities for many people. But how many of you have the kind of anxiety that's not attached to anything rational or real or even possible? And that's the really hard one because that's trauma-based. 
that's part of an ongoing PTSD that was probably there before you even came into the pandemic. And so it's manifesting in overdrive now that you're in the pandemic. Honestly, I have the most compassion for that kind of anxiety because that's the hardest one to work through. You know, when it's rational anxiety, it's easier for us to compartmentalize and to be able to, at a time when we're rested and feeling okay, to talk our way through reality and I can't control this. I don't have any power over this. All I can do is stay present in the present moment and manage what is present. I can't get into the past or future, which is where fear and anxiety live. I can't do anything about those things. So let me bring myself back to the present and I can manage my stress and anxiety that way. But when it's irrational, there's no amount of talking your way out of it because there's no rationale to it to begin with. So you can't rationalize your way out of it. And the truth is when there's a narrative that's driving the rumination of thoughts, there are exercises we can use that interrupt those thought processes and get you on a new neural pathway toward creating a rational thought that could replace those irrational thoughts. It's hard to do when someone's nervous system is dysregulated, but if we can get your nervous system regulated through breath work and exercise and other physiological approaches, then we might be able to interrupt those irrational thoughts with logic and speaking truth into those fears and attaching to that part of the cognitive brain by kind of reducing the PTSD shield enough to get you connected to it and think clearly and make different choices about how to respond to those anxious thoughts. If you don't regulate your nervous system, there's no amount of processing that will get you to a rational thought in the midst of irrational rumination. So go easy on yourself. Give yourself a lot of grace in this time. Rest when you can rest. If your body won't sleep, then know that if you're lying prone and you're resting and you're closing your eyes, your body is getting rest. At some point, it will get tired enough to sleep off and on, even if it's fitful, but stillness will serve you until rest comes. How often have you laid awake at night, unable to sleep for some reason, and fretted about how tired you're going to be the next day. And the truth is you were tired, but you got through the day. You can't do that forever. And some of you have been doing that for 10, 11 weeks now. But there's so much about the way we perceive those things that makes it worse, where it's not mind over matter and it's not positive thinking. People attribute it to those terminologies at times. But the truth is, it's an interruption of the neural pathway and being able to buy into the belief that if I'm lying still, I'm resting and that rest could suffice to get me through another day will have a greater impact on your ability to function the next day than if you lie there and fret the whole night and your body is tense and you're fighting, not sleeping. And then all day long, you're going, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. There really is something about that. That is the path of, that your brain will follow. That's an, a much easier path for it to follow. It takes work for us to convince ourselves that the rest we're getting will suffice. But if we will take that mindset, it often does interrupt those old patterns of thought and give us an, an ability to get through. More importantly, it relaxes the body because so much of that freaking out keeps us tense and feeds the anxiety even more. Meditation only works if you have a regulated nervous system. I know Kristen mentioned recently that she learned that meditation can actually make her more anxious. And that's because most likely her nervous system is already activated. And so without regulating it, then it's really hard to bring you to a place that you can manage that anxiety. Once you regulate your system and you enter into a thought process around sitting in your feelings, feeling what your anxiety is, putting words to your anxiety, trying to speak truth into it and dispel the myth that your brain is perpetuating about it, then really coming to terms with what it is you're feeling, what's under the fear is really helpful. 
And I think it's really important at this point to pay attention to a lot of things. First of all, to notice and give yourself validation for the things that you've had to sacrifice, the things you've given up, just the normal way of life, the fact that you're having to teach your kids from home or you're having to work from home or that you and your your husband or your wife or your partner are at home together all the time. Maybe you've even had to bring family members in to live with you during this time. We're missing weddings and funerals. We're missing baby showers and birthday parties. There's so much we're missing. Broadway plays, graduations. This weekend, we saw several graduates taking pictures around the university campus. We all honked our horns and yelled congratulations to them. But I thought how much they're sacrificing. You've worked for so long and you've spent so much money to walk across that stage and to not get to do that. That's really disheartening. And yet so much of life continues in spite of this. Bills still have to be paid. The world continues to turn on its axis. The moon and the sun rise and set every day. Babies are still born. People still die. There's so much that's still happening in life and we're missing so much of it that we could actually engage in because our anxiety is keeping us from being able to find serenity and peace in our present moment. Remembering again that anxiety is always out in the future or in our past. Trying to get to this present moment through whatever means possible will benefit you greatly. So recognizing the role that uncertainty plays in that fear and anxiety. One of the things I was thinking about this week is as I watch people on opposite ends of a spectrum who are grasping on to something really black or white, very absolute that they can hang on to and fight for. God love you all. Whatever your mission is, I get it. And what is happening so often in those situations is we can't tolerate uncertainty. So we grab something absolute and use it like a stake in the ground. Like when we're claiming land, this is the the mound I'm going to die on because I cannot tolerate one more minute of not knowing what's next. So open up the cities. Let's just get back out there and live our lives. I can't live in my house any longer. Or I can't go outside at all. I I have to stay in here forever. I'm protected in this bubble. There's two ends of the extreme where we grab hold of something just to try to make it be something I have control over. I can manage my life as long as I'm in this bubble. I can have groceries delivered, not come in contact with anybody. I can even walk around my neighborhood and wear a mask as long as I don't come within 10, 12 feet of somebody. I can't possibly get the illness. That's a great little bubble to live in. I could sustain that for quite some time, but it's not a way to live life. And at some point, we have to be able to come out of the bubble By the same token, there's enough about this virus that we don't know that makes masks and precautions make a lot of sense. Slowly staging reopenings makes a lot of sense. But also, if I'm in fear of losing my livelihood because I need to open my business back up now or I'm going to lose it altogether, then I'm going to grasp hold of something that says it's okay. I might believe anything that feels like it's grounded in truth to me if it gives me something I feel like I have power over or control over. If I could just go back to work, everything would be okay. Truth is, I don't know if it will be or not, but it feels like it would. And so I might grab a hold of that so that it feels more tangible. The biggest challenge in all of this is what's uncertain, which is so much of it. It's uncertain because we don't know who to believe. It's uncertain because we don't know enough about the virus. It's uncertain because we don't know how to treat it, how to cure it, how to prevent it. We do know how to not spread it, but we don't know if even those measures are enough or if they're too much. There's just so much we don't know. Life has always been uncertain. On any given day before this pandemic, I could walk out my front door, step out into the street where my car is parked, open my car door, and before I could even get in my car, a drunk driver could drive down my street and plow me over. My life could be altered forever, or it could be taken from me. 
Life is no more uncertain in this pandemic than it was before. There are things we don't know that could harm us. And yet, all the other ways that life is uncertain still exist on top of that. And we're really kind of forgetting those things and hanging our hat on one uncertainty. And it's really undoing us. The answer to uncertainty is recognizing what we can and can't control. I can't control a drunk driver driving down my street. I can control not getting hit by it by never stepping out into the street. But at some point, I've got to get in my car. I can prevent it by paying closer attention. But what if that car came flying out of nowhere and I didn't have time to react? Life's uncertain. This illness is uncertain. People are uncertain. Their behaviors and how it's going to affect me. They're all uncertain. And so that's one of the ways we can manage our anxiety is by trying to regulate our systems enough that we can then take what's out of our control and put it in a box on the shelf and say, there is enough for me to manage that is within my control. I can take care of my family. I can make sure we have what we need. I can do all the different things that this pandemic is requiring of us in order to function on a daily basis. That in and of itself is enough. And I can set aside the things that I have no power over and accept the things that I do have power over and exercise that power where I can and work on letting go of the things I can't. When that part of the brain starts going, but what if, but what if, but what if, I lose my power there because I don't know the answer to what if. I will never know the answer to what if until what if happens, if indeed it does happen. It's wasted energy for me to do that. I was reading this morning post that was talking about rather than trying to rid yourself of anxiety, first try to understand it. If you ask your anxiety what it's afraid of and listen non-judgmentally, you may find out that it's trying really hard to help you. You and your anxiety likely share a common goal, but differ in your opinions about how best to achieve that goal. This goes back to that part of the brain that produces the anxiety. The amygdala, the size of an album, sits right behind your right ear. And that's the part of your brain that's trying to keep you safe. It's constantly assessing for worst case scenarios. There's way too many worst case scenarios around right now. So it's in overdrive. When you calm your nervous system, it calms that part of the brain. And even when that part of the brain starts to ramp back up and go, but what if, but what if, but what if? If our nervous system is calm, then we can come back to the moment and tell that part of the brain, I don't know, dude, I don't know about what if I have no power over what if, what I do know is I can fix dinner for my family right now. I've got plenty of groceries (laughs) and I can sit down and have time together with them and make the most of it. I can find a way to live life in the midst of this pandemic. I can find a way to focus on the things that matter to me so that I don't lose time. (laughs) I saw a meme that said, I'm not counting this year in my age. I didn't get to use it. (laughs) Honestly, let's be careful about wasting our life during this time. Now, for those of you who are so busy, you can't see straight, not talking to you. But even if that is your story, Is that where you want your energy to go? Does it have to go there? Can you give yourself a little grace around how clean the house is? How much time you you spend lecturing your kids on what they're doing right or wrong? How much news you consume? How much time you spend on your phone or on other ways of diverting our attention, distracting ourselves? What if we got really, really present in our lives and made the most of it? Kristen posted this week that Spanx was one of the things that on the other side of this, she was just planning to never wear again. And she asked us, what if, what are you going to leave behind when this is over? That post is really what prompted me to kind of think about this today, because there have been so many things in our lives that didn't serve us. Finding a way to leave them behind at the end of the pandemic, I think is going to change our lives for the better. I talked a little bit about this last week, but what I want you to think about today is what can you leave behind right now? What can you do right now to live life to the fullest in the midst of this? What do you need to say no to? Is your boss expecting too much of you working from home? 
Do you need to learn how to set different boundaries with that person today so that when this is over, they're already in place and maybe you could have a different life around your work? Do you need to push back on your kid's school? Are they expecting too much from their students in the midst of a pandemic or expecting too much of you more than you're able to give? Do you need to push back on that? And spend some time with your kids, connecting, taking advantage of the stillness. Is it really going to make or break their school career if they're in third grade and they're only getting half of their assignments turned in so that you could breathe and live life in the midst of this? Maybe there's some things that we need to let go of right now. Nobody's wearing Spanx in the pandemic. You've given up maybe having your nails done. Maybe you're going to start doing your own nails all the time. Maybe there's a relationship that you've not had to be involved in and you're suddenly saying, yeah, that relationship was something I really probably needed to let go of a long time ago. I'm not really missing that person too much. In fact, I'm really enjoying the lack of stress that that relationship brought to my life. You've already let go of it. What if you emotionally let go of it now so that when this is over, you're prepared for how you're going to set boundaries with that relationship? What can you do today to take control of what you can control and to live life to the fullest that you possibly can in the midst of this pandemic? That's my challenge to you this week, and I'd love to hear your feedback on it. Hey, thank you for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us on Instagram at at selfiepodcast and in the Selfie Podcast community group on Facebook. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so you can catch up with us next week. Take care. Take care.